<clears throat> so today um, I'm introducing this series on what it means to live uh, a, th- a thriving life. I don't know if that was your experience over the summer or not, but uh, it's, a, it's a challenge, isn't it? Uh, it's, a, it's a great challenge to our lives. A couple of years ago, Ruth and I, uh, my wife, brought, bought some plants for our front garden. Um, and uh, there was a couple in particular. I'm, I'm one of these gardeners that wants a plant that doesn't need looking after. They're called low-maintenance plants. And so I read all the, the bits and pieces very carefully to make sure they don't grow too big, they don't need watering too often, all that sort of stuff. Mm. And uh, they'll basically look after themselves. And there were two in particular that were basically the same plants. They're just different colours of leaves. So one was a kind of greeny-yellowy one, and one was a sort of purpley-red one. Uh, identical kind of plants other than the colours of them. And uh, so we planted them in the front garden and we gave them plenty of space and they sort of symmetrical, you know, so they were kind of, kind of placed there side by side. And um, these were not just any old plants. These were not just Poundland plants or from Wilkinson's or something like that. These were not Cut's garden centre plants. And uh, not only that, but they came with a five-year guarantee. What an offer. That is my kind of plant. If I kill it within five years, I get my money back. I thought, brilliant, how can I possibly lose? So anyway, so green plant is flourishing. Green plant is doing exactly what it said on the, on the label. And it grows not too much, but it grows enough, and it looks beautiful and all the rest of it. However, red plant is an attention-seeking plant. Okay? Red plant is a nightmare of a plant. It went from red to brown. It went from uh, leaf to stick. It went from posy to stump. Okay, so we had words. Me and the plant had words. Okay, I said to this plant, I said, you're better than this. You know, I've read your potential on this leaflet. One more chance. Okay, next year, or oh, that's it. You know, you're going back to the not cuts returns counter. I get my money back. I don't lose. You lose. So you've got one more chance. So it started out next year a little bit better. A little bit better. And uh, initially some good progress uh, as we went along. And the red plant started to kind of, kind of leaves up coming and the rest of it. But then, same old, same old, you know, red to brown, leaf to stick, all the rest of it. So I dug it up, and I took it back to not cuts. Unfortunately, I forgot the receipt. So they wouldn't give me my money back out there, and it's a bit of a trek to not cuts. So we ended up buying another plant, sticking it in, and the red one got just repotted for the, for the time being in the garden. And it's annoyingly started to revive. So um, anyway, they're stuck with it for the time being. But this was a plant that was planted, but wasn't thriving. And Ezekiel, the Old Testament prophet, in chapter 10, 17, wrote this. He says, it has been planted, but will it thrive? And he goes on, will it flourish or will it wither? And I suppose my journey to Christian faith was triggered by a number of areas in my life that weren't thriving Uh, while many areas uh, would appear to be thriving. So my studies were going well, my social life was going well, but there were deeper areas within me that weren't. There was a frustration with myself uh, at times. There was a dissatisfaction in a number of areas that led me to look at the truths of the Christian faith and by faith to then step into that and see if it worked. And I haven't looked back since doing that um, through my life. But when I was about 20, I picked up this little booklet, and it had about a dozen little Bible passages in it and some questions in it that was life-giving to me uh, as, a, as a new believer. And the first one I ever studied was Psalm 1, first three verses uh, of that. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. 
but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. And I just found these such kind of succulent words, if you like, particularly of verse 3 there, where it says to be like a tree planted by streams of water, to be fruitful in season, leaves that don't wither whatever the weather, and there's prosperity in all that we do. And we don't want to be people who are just planted. We want to be people who are thriving like this. And so I was excited about this newfound faith and all that God has on offer us, even in these few verses. The first verse talks about standing against the tide of darkness in our world and walking in the light. The second verse talks about delighting in God's words and making it part of our lives. The third verse talks about being street planted by streams of water and the fruits that come of that. And I think many people, when they're asked how are they doing, they'll say, oh, I'm fine, thanks. You know, I'm, I'm okay, I'm fine. Uh, maybe we are, maybe we aren't. You know, and on the extremes, you know, I haven't won the lottery this week, but neither is the blood dripping from my head wound. So on the, if that's the spectrum, then I'm sort of fair to middling uh, on things. I'm doing okay. But sometimes somebody, maybe you haven't seen them for a while, asks you the same question. And you say, well, I'm doing fine. I'm just tired. Or I'm doing fine but I'm just worn down. You know, oh, I'm doing fine, but I'm just hanging in there, really. But deep down, we don't want to be people who are just doing fine. We want to be people who thrive and live in that Psalm 1 experience. So for many people, they are at best surviving rather than just uh, thriving. You know, from one day to the next, from one month to the next, from one holiday to the next. Now, when is the next one coming along to get us through things? You know, where's our meaning gone? You know, where's our edge or our impact gone? Where's our passion gone? Whether that's the passion of joy uh, in our faith, whether it's even the passion in sorrow. You know, sometimes hard stuff hits us, but we've become so hard-hearted, there's not even any passion uh, in that uh, kind of either. Pediatricians use the term failure to thrive uh, with children. Uh, FTT is the is acronym, there's a short thing there. For kids who are not gaining weight um, in, in the proper way, but for many adults, you know, there are ways in which we fail to thrive in life as well. To not thrive is to feel hindered, to, to be withered, uh, to be exhausted, empty, hopeless, helpless, confused perhaps, purposeless or lost. Okay, words that describe what it is, feels like to not thrive. To thrive is to bloom, is to, to, to grow, is to flourish, to be energized, to shine, uh, to bear fruit uh, in our lives. And so the question has to be, which of those more closely resembles our own lives? And perhaps that's something you can reflect on uh, this week and there's questions and outlook with that as well. <clears throat> but there's a number of people... Um, and Jesus is probably the, 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 the key one for us here, who comes up with this line, which says, um, oh, no, come to that. He says, I have come that you may have life and have it to all its fullness. Okay, that is a life of thriving. That's a, that's a life uh, of abundance in our lives. And it has always been an issue for human beings looking for what does it mean to thrive in life? What does it mean to flourish? You know, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we've got the Garden of Eden, we've got a picture of a thriving life. 
Okay, Genesis 3 onwards with the fall east of Eden, we find a picture of people struggling in life. Uh, the ancient Greek philosophers uh, brought loads of insights into that. They were always battling with it. Aristotle was famous for it and, and wrote some quite insightful things on what it means for a person to flourish. And we also get people like Stephen Covey and his, his habits, seven effective habits of uh, highly effective people. Um, both of them, both Aristotle and Covey, have been bestsellers in their own times. And there are some really helpful insights in what they've written about. Um, Aristotle reckoned that all humans seek to flourish. Um, in fact, the Greek word literally meant to have good demons. We probably don't want those. But um, it, the phrase means to flourish, to be, to be doing well in life, uh, in everything. And one of the things that he uh, kind of highlighted was... It, one of the keys was this enduring happiness and to have authentic love and compassion. And what he meant by this was a life well lived. That's a phrase that we understand, a life well lived. You know, and that is a life that is focused on serving others okay, rather than ourselves. It's a life contributing to the well-being of others. And it's quite different to the contemporary Western view of what happiness was. That's how they viewed it in ancient days. The lie of today is that uh, in order to be happy, you have to serve yourself. You have to gain a lot. Um, you have to collect material possessions. You, know, you have to be successful in your chosen field and gain wealth through that. But happiness is, isn't those things. Happiness is much, much more. And it is only found really when we look beyond ourselves to the needs and welfares uh, of other people. Galatians 5 speaks powerfully into the thriving life. The fruit of the Spirit, perhaps familiar to many of us. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. Okay? Patience, kindness and goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. You know, these are the fruits that God promises to us. And surely that is describing a thriving life. If all of those things are flowing through us, then we're going to be thriving in life. And yet you still see the other-centeredness within it, you know, back to Psalm 1, bearing fruit in every season. And love isn't just loving those who love us. We should do that, definitely. But that's the self-serving love. It's, it's the love that says, I will love the unlovely. I will love the unlovable. You know, I will bend down to lift up those unable to do so for themselves. It's the agape love, the loving the enemies, the unconditional love that God talks about. Um, joy. Joy isn't happiness as we define it nowadays in the West because happiness depends on events and circumstances. You know, your holiday's happy if it's sunny okay, and not if it's rainy. Okay? It depends on circumstances. But joy doesn't depend on that. It's inward. It's deeper. Uh, Mike Riddell uh, in his uh, book God's Zone, which is about a guy traveling through the kingdom of God, through God's zone as it were, says this. He says, happiness depends on what happens. Happiness is a Porsche with a stereo stopping for you when it's just started raining. Joy may rise in the midst of a thunderstorm with not a car to be seen. Happiness is finding a wallet full of £20 notes with no ID on it. Joy could hit you as you give your last £5 to a lovable rogue with an unlikely story. Happiness is the preserve of the lucky, the wealthy and the successful. Joy belongs to any who find it and the poor seem to find it more than most. We could work through all of these. We could take peace. You know, peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of someone despite what's happening around us. The presence of God with us. Peace. You know, patience is a challenging one for us. You know, we want to thrive and we want to thrive now. Okay? And yet the thriving person 
the, the fruit of the spirit of patience, you know, we are such impatient people. Um, and yet patience is something that has to grow in our lives um, as we pursue that um, and pursue God in it. So where have I got to? <clears throat> I think thriving, and patience is a good example of that, thriving is not about everything going well in our lives. You, know, you can face some very difficult circumstances. You can face a mountain of suffering and still be thriving. You now, as we read of Paul's life in the New Testament, he, he faces some horrendous uh, hardships and sufferings, and yet his life is incredibly fruitful, and as you would describe it as thriving despite all that his circumstances. There's an enduring nature to it, a life well lived. The second aspect that Aristotle came up with was that it was about a penetrating wisdom. And what he meant by this was that there's no flourishing if there's not wise discernment and there's not good choices and decisions and judgments made in life. And uh, we have the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs that has already revealed this really to, to us than um, this wise insight because Solomon describes and unpacks it and you know, what penetrating wisdom looks like, the well-being of, of wisdom. The, he describes it as precious jewels of life, like rubies. It's so important to have. And true wisdom comes by not just knowing it, but by living it out in our lives, putting it into practice. And as Psalm 1 taught me, not only to delight in God's words, but then to put it into practice, to stand against the ways of the world, um, to, to live it out, to keep in step with God's ways and not the ways of the wicked. Walk against the current. You know, wisdom allows us to flourish um, and thrive because it keeps us on the path. Okay? It's not always an easy path. Wisdom doesn't promise ease. It promises fruitfulness and it promises fullness. Okay? It requires discipline, but it brings freedom. So we've got the fruit of God's Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. We have the, the wisdom of the Scriptures and there's another aspect that uh, the Greek philosophers looked at and observed about humanity is that it, there's a holistic approach. Um, there's a, it's an optimal well-being. If you want to thrive in life, it's not just about thriving in one area of your life. It's about across the board, um, if that makes sense. You can have amazing success in one or two areas and be useless in other areas and it be completely unbalanced. Um, so, you know, if you've got the barrel with his staves at different heights. You can only put as much water in that as the lowest stave. Everything else falls out. So you can be you know, relationally fantastic, financially fantastic, um, and spiritually nowhere, you're not going to thrive. Um, you know, you can be well off materially and then struggle physically, you're not going to thrive. You can be physically well, but lack real wisdom and judgment in life and make some poor choices, you're not going to thrive. So it's about being healthy across all the areas uh, in an optimal way. And that is a challenge. In a culture that never seems to rest, you know, or a culture that says success is the things that you fill your house with, or the car that you have, or what's in your bank account, uh, you know, how can somebody flourish in a culture that says you've got to forsake um, the life-giving institution of a family in order to have a place at the corporate table? You know, how can somebody flourish when they're running at breakneck speed from activity to activity to activity and never tending to their soul? Okay, we have to have a different mindset to the world's mindset on how it interprets well-being 
and actually often robs us of it. You know, as Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy, but I came to give you life and life in all its fullness. And uh, just mentioning back to Stephen Covey's book, which um, there's some bits in that are really helpful and being effective uh, in life. And he ends with a principle of sharpen the saw. Um, and it basically, how can you be effective in life with a blunt saw? Um, I've got a saw, I lent it to Martin recently, and it said on the outside, 25% faster. I'm like, 25% faster? It's not electric, this is just a saw, saw. it's a hand saw. How can it be 25% faster? But presumably it's sharper. They found a way of getting every, every tooth in it sharper, so you do a quarter of less work to cut your trees down. Okay. So why bother with a blunt saw taking hours and hours cutting a tree down if you just take half an hour to sharpen it and you can do the job in half the time? So it is with our lives. And uh, Jesus' life, as we read in Luke 2, 52, we see four different areas that were important. It talks about Jesus growing in stature physically, growing in, in wisdom, um, uh, growing in favor with men relationally and in favor with God uh, spiritually. And so we can balance all of those areas in our life. We can sharpen the saw in each of those four areas. You know, physically, you know, it's about nourishment. It's about exercise. It's about rest in our lives. You know, our bodies are temples of God. We are to, uh, we're, to, uh, you know, we're to steward them well uh, for all that we're to do in life. Um, I can remember every Saturday morning, uh, once the adrenaline of a week had finished, you know, once you know, the, the weekend hit me and, you know, a few broken nights with young kids... Every Saturday morning, I had a headache. And I mean every single Saturday morning. And so I started going for a run, just 20, 30 minutes on a Saturday morning, and it absolutely cured me from having a headache. Okay? Just putting some patterns in our lives physically that help us to stay fit and healthy. Um, and that will be different for different people, uh, absolutely. But we sharpen the saw physically. We sharpen the saw spiritually. Um, because it's not just physical fitness, it's spiritual fitness. Um, clarifying our values in life, um, taking time with God, taking time in prayer, taking time with the Bible, uh, reflecting on your life and your soul. You know, how is it with my soul? And asking those questions. Uh, I remember uh, when Ruth was had three, we had three preschool kids. Life was incredibly difficult, um, as it is no doubt for many of you. And uh, there was a number of mums got together who all had preschool children. And they started working through this little booklet called Pat, um, Patterns, Not Padlocks. And it was basically, you know, the, the kind of the, the evangelical way of you had to do a quiet time padlock around finding creative ways in your day to connect with God, you know, when, when things were going on. And they just found that incredibly helpful. Patterns that work for you so that no matter what your circumstances, you sharpen the saw spiritually. Relationally. In favor with people. You know, which friendships, which relationships replenish you? You know, which of those relationships where emotional needs are met, where you're encouraged, where you're supported, you know, where you're affirmed, those people that you can be yourself with, those people that you can laugh with, um, can encourage you and you can encourage, you know, building to our lives times of replenishing relationships, times with our, you know, our spouse, with our family, with our friends, those closest to us. And to be careful, because often what we find in our work or in different other things that we spend a lot of time in draining relationships, and we need to build in time to recuperate from those uh, aspects. And then fourthly, wisdom, which is really the rational part of our lives. You know, we are creative people. We're expressive people. We are knowledge-seeking people, um, and we're able to obey reason. And therefore, we need to build in time to, to learn and to read 
and to write or to whatever your creative thing is, paint, draw, whatever. Thinking time, reading time, learning time, growing time in our lives. And as we sharpen each of these, then actually we find our lives better positioned uh, for that kind of optimal well-being uh, right across the whole of our lives. But another aspect of this is that we all have multiple callings. You know, very often in the church we talk about what's your calling and we think there's one thing that we're ever called to. But actually, there's a, we're all called to a whole number of things. So for myself, I'm a follower of Jesus. That's a calling I have as his disciple and to learn from him. You know, I'm called to be a, a loving husband and a dad. Um, I'm called into my workplace and my job. I'm called to this church and to this city um, as part of God's mission. And we're all unique. We're all wired completely differently. Um, but we all have multiple callings in our lives. And usually, they are, they're things that we are created for. Okay? They're things that we're summoned to, if you like. That's the, the Latin word means that. It's where we get the word vocation from, to be summoned to something. But it's not just one thing. It's several things. And it's usually something, firstly, that's connected to your natural abilities and your skills. You know, whether you're a teacher or a carer or a designer or a builder or a planner, um, often plays into our occupation. Um, secondly, there's a calling to the institution of the family. You know, whether that's a, as a mother or as a wife or as a brother or a sister, so on, and responsibilities with each one of those. We, call, we have a calling as children of God uh, to his church. You know, we have a calling to the community, compelled to work for the prosperity uh, and well-being of our, of our local community. The key is how we manage all of those things because they become competing things in our lives. And so how can we balance them? What, what rhythm can we bring into our life? What, what harmony and uh, order can we bring and be realistic so that we can flourish across all of them? And that involves something that someone's called the act of the swap or the art of the swap. Because if you want to have time for this thing, then it's going to cost you time from that thing. Um, so if one of your kids has an important event coming up, then you may have to say no to a work function. Okay? If there's, sometimes in our work, there's seasons of work that are really demanding, and that's going to cost us family time. Um, and so we have to get a balance. Don't go for an A plus at work and get a poor D at home. That's not the way to thrive. Okay? Probably better to get a B across the board. Okay? Get some balance in our lives and make sure we don't neglect the callings that we have. And in fact, that may well be a secret to thriving in life and get that rhythm across our lives in our day, in our week, in our month, in our term, in our year, uh, whatever. Patterns that help us. I saw an article recently and it was called uh, Flourishing in the Cracks. Because even in the cracks of a stone wall, plants will find a way to, to grow and to flourish. But it requires intentionality to thrive. And even in busy lives, very busy lives that I know some of you have, is trying to find those few minutes, whether it's at lunch, whether it's a walk to work, whether it's even just a walk from the car across the car park, whether it's a few minutes early before an appointment, when you drive to work, when you wash up, when you brush your teeth. What are the little bits, what are the little cracks of time in our days when we could actually pray for someone or we could actually just reflect on a simple Bible verse. Or we could just have a book to hand or on a Kindle app or something that we could just learn from and grow from and encourage ourselves from. Five minutes 
to go for a walk at lunchtime. Just a bit of exercise and fresh air. What, what are the, the ways that we can do that? You know, flourishing even in the cracks. But ideally, we want to be people that cultivate deep roots. Um, Tolkien put it like this. He said in his poem in, in one of the Lord of the Rings, deep roots are not reached by the frost. It's the poem, uh, all his glitter is not gold. Or all that gold is, whatever it is. All that glitters is not gold. But it goes on, deep roots are not reached by the frost. And they're important to the tree in Psalm 1. Okay? And they're important because they are the entry point for the water. They're the entry point for the nutrients into our lives. Okay? They also provide the stability when the wind blows. And they also provide resilience when the sun shines and the clouds dry up of rain. So what does your root system look like? You know, and that is not just individual roots. It's also community as well you know, and family. You know, we need one another as part of our root system. You know, we just heard some encouragement over 40 years. And that's, those relationships are important in the roots that we have as well as the individual ones. So Psalm 1 again. And, uh, and verse 3, planted by streams, oops, where's it gone? That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. I just want to say something about this word prosper because we can get a bit confused by it. Um, it is not what has become known as the prosperity gospel. Okay, that is a, a crass and materialistic distortion of what true prosperity really is. Um, Jeremiah 29 verse 7 talks about it with peace. It says, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And the Hebrew word is, is shalom. And shalom means peace and soundness or completeness, justice, righteousness, salvation, well-being. Okay, it can mean welfare and uh, happiness um, and fortune, but it's never welfare without wholeness. It's, a, it's about the wholeness of life being right um, for us. It brings reconciliation. It brings contentment. It brings restful sleep. Um, it brings good relationships. It has all of that depth to it. And so we are made to thrive in life. We're made to experience this shalom through Christ. But also, as this verse in Jeremiah teaches us, it's also about a community. It is about a thriving church coming together. It's about a thriving city. It's about a city that, that prospers. It's not just about us. It is about everybody around us um, as well. And so our mission statement as a church reflects those priorities to help people get to know Jesus and to grow as his obedient followers. Now we're to grow in this thriving life, and we are to model and help others to discover this thriving life. And then we're to express the fruit of the Spirit in our communities and in our city and in our workplaces or wherever we are as conduits of the shalom of God so that we bring it to our homes and our streets and our communities and our city and our workplaces. We share God with the city and we share good with the city. And we grow the next generation for the city as we model that too. Is there a secret to thriving in life, whatever the circumstances? Well, I think it is by a day-to-day -day journey or a day-by-day. -day. Take one day at a time. Okay, it's about a moment-by-moment -moment walk 
with God making decisions. Because Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Um, And he basically said, my own paraphrase, but live in the kingdom today. Today is really key. Because most of us look at our days in the wrong way. You know, we, we think of yesterday and we exaggerate it. It was either a terrible failure or it was, a ter- it was an incredible success. But we tend to exaggerate yesterday. We tend to overestimate tomorrow. Tomorrow will be amazing. Or oh, wait till tomorrow. You know, everything will change. And we underestimate today. Because the truth is that the most important day you will ever have is today. Okay, what we do with today. Today is the key to our success and our thriving. Making decisions today. Determine today that you will walk with Jesus, okay? And allowing him to live through you and produce his fruit. You know, determine today to balance those callings across your life. You know, determine today to build up this church. Um, Determine today to pray for and shape this city uh, for good in some way. And and today, start sharpening the saw uh, in those areas of life. It all starts by being planted in Christ, to commit our lives to him today. And if you're not a Christian, if you've never come to know that, today's the day to do that, to say, I want to start. I want to be planted in you. But more than just planted, I want to thrive. God promises and says we can thrive. Will we let Jesus live his life through us? Because as we do, that is the secret to that. And it's an adventure. Um, and I want to finish just with this, uh, this little bit from Mike Riddell's God Zone again. And God Zone is his terminology for the kingdom of God. And uh, there's a tra- travelers traveling through this invisible space that is inhabited by God in our lives. This bit's called the six lane highway. The fastest way to get somewhere is not always the best. A hitchhiker in a hurry may be tempted to take the motorway. It is certainly quicker, but like a kiss through a train window, it leaves a lot to be desired. The great highways bypass towns and tunnel through mountains. They teach nothing of the country that stream across. They stream across. They allow no encounter with the local people or culture. You have to read the signs to know where you are. In any case, hitchhikers are generally banned from the motorways as a traffic hazard. The path through God's zone can often be steep and hard. When road-weary pilgrims come to a crossroads and discover a six-lane highway heading to their destination, they may succumb to the promise of a shortcut. The apparent easy road often leads the unsuspecting traveller out of the zone again, or else keeps circling back on itself. These sealed highways are dangerous to seekers after the heartland. The more so because they tend to crop up in the most arduous points of the journey. You may flop down at the crossroads and discover an air-conditioned coach pulled up at a picnic area for lunch. The tourists are fat and happy and share their chicken legs and salmon sandwiches with you. They worry about you and tell stories about how they heard about the bandits in the backcountry to which you are headed. It just so happens that they have a spare seat on the bus and the highway they travel will eventually get you where you want to go. Hey, they're travellers too. This particular party is on a tour of the Holy Lands. Come on board, be kind to yourself for once. It's hard to shoulder your pack and head off uphill again. But you can be sure that the narrow, rutted track is yours. No one said God's zone was easy. It's difficult to leave behind the luxury lanes when you're tired and lonely. 
Console yourself that the fast tracks don't lead in your direction, despite what the signs may say. The donkey trail you follow may seem even less promising than a New Age revival meeting, but by sticking to it, you will get a little further along in your journey. If you do happen to surrender in a moment of weakness and wake to find yourself staring out the tinted windows as the asphalt flashes by, don't worry. Stop the bus, get off, and find your way to the nearest rutted track which crosses the highway. You will have been sidetracked as surely as a teacher on a tangent, but the journey can begin again. Nothing is lost save a little pride and inexperience. It may be that you needed that diversion to realise just how tired you had got. A time of rest will bring your strength back and allow you to laugh at yourself for being so dumb. Let's pray. Maybe the bands could come back up. Father, we simply come before you this morning and say, Lord, help us to walk in God's zone. Help us to walk in your kingdom. Help us to head for the heartlands as we go deeper towards you. Help us to delight in you, Lord, in your ways, in your words, and draw from your waters. Help us to live the thriving life that you call us to today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.